will tell you a story that goes back a number of years. Quite a number of years before my time, probably before most of your time. A young man took a job as a clerk in a hardware store. He was an industrious young man, a hard worker. And he soon uh, realized that in that particular hardware store, and probably quite common, they had a huge amount of old inventory, which nobody ever seemed to ask for, and a lot of which was basically obsolete and unwanted merchandise. And yet a lot of money was tied up in it. So he went to the owner and said, why can't we have a sale? And we'll just drag it all out and we will put 10 cents on every item and we'll just get rid of it. His boss said, okay, we'll give it a try. And so they did and they sold almost everything they brought out. It's amazing what useless things people will buy for a cheap price. <laughs> well, I said it worked once, do it again. We still have more. So a second time, on another day, they brought everything out, and again, they priced everything for 10 cents, and that sale, too, was a great success. And that led the young man, in his mind, to come up with an idea. He said to his boss, he said, look, why don't we do this? I'll open a second store, and I'll sell everything in that store for 10 cents. If you will just help me, with the, you know, with the, you know, the merchandise, whatever you got left or whatever we can find real cheap, wherever. And his boss was, well, less than enthusiastic. He said, young man, he said, you'll never come up with enough items that you can sell for 10 cents. Now, granted, 10 cents was worth a lot more back then than it is now. So you gotta have to put this in perspective, you know, 75 years ago or whatever it was. I said, you know, I, you know, that's just a terrible idea. It'll never work. Well, the young man was disappointed, went back to work, but he couldn't get the idea out of his mind. Eventually, he left his job, opened his own store, and on his own began to sell items for 10 cents. And the rest is history, as they say. That young man's name was F.W. Woolworth. That may not ring a bell to some of you younger folks. But when I was a kid, every Christmas, every Easter, and always just before school started, we got to make a trip to the big city, which was about 30,000 people. That was a big city for us. But in that big city was a Sears and Roebuck store and a Woolworth five and dime. They weren't selling a whole lot for five or ten cents at that point, if I remember, but those were the two places to go. I suppose... Uh, for those of you who need some context, it would be like going to the Dollar General today. Or maybe the uh, Five Below store. Something of that nature. But here's what I want to conclude this story with. It was a quote from the boss who said, no, it'll never work. Because F.W. Woolworth started a whole chain of stores and, of course, uh, made a fortune. His boss said this. He says, as near as I can figure it, Every word I used in turning Woolworth down has cost me about a million dollars. Woolworth saw the opportunity. 
The hardware store owner did not. They both had the same opportunity. Only one benefited from what was so obvious to him and that which the other man could not see. You see, it's not our opportunities that matter. It's what we do with our opportunities. And that is an important distinction. Because life is a stewardship. And stewardship, our our stewardship of all that God gives us in life, is proof of our faith in God. And thus the title for our message. But what we're going to look at this morning is the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. And the kernel of truth here that runs through this whole parable is simply this, that God gives us a stewardship. And it is our responsibility to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, a steward is someone who takes care of somebody else's assets or manages somebody else's business that is entrusted to them. In New Testament times, wealthy people in the Roman Empire usually had a a well-educated slave in the household that had a measure of stewardship over the master's possessions. It wasn't uncommon. Today, well, there's plenty of examples. If you own a mutual fund, someone has a stewardship. Somebody manages the investments that are in that fund. And you commit that to them. If you get on a commercial airline, there's always uh, a stewardess, right? More than one. Or a steward. But sometimes they're male. And of course, we're not supposed to distinguish between the two, but how, what, what could possibly be the word that would, would do that? It's either a steward or a stewardess. That's, that's all we need to know. Uh, but what, what does a stewardess do? They manage the airline's property, take care of it, distribute, you know, the refreshments, make everybody comfortable, and make sure that everybody's happy so they'll come back and fly again. And they take care of the individuals that are flying. They are individuals that we could easily, well, even by their title. They have a stewardship. It is this concept that Jesus deals with in the parable of the talents. And he is telling us, as he was telling them in that day, that our life is a stewardship given to us by God. John Wesley, many years ago, said this. He said, when the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world, he placed you here not to be an owner, but a steward. That's what we are. We don't even own ourselves. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we were bought with a price. We belong to him. He is our master. And so the parable illustrates that. Now contextually, 
This parable was given in what is called the Olivet Discourse, which Jesus gave to his disciples on the evening before he was arrested in the Gethsemane and, and of course, taken to the cross the next day. It's prophetic. It, it, it really is specifically talking about how God will judge the Jewish people who survived the tribulation period, which is yet uh, future, obviously. And the ones that have been good stewards will be able to go on into the kingdom, which will come at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus comes back and establishes his millennial kingdom. <clears throat> now, those who were not good stewards and do not enter that kingdom are those that don't believe. Because stewardship and faith are connected. We all have opportunities to demonstrate our faith. And that's the first thing that we learn here. Because there are two implications covered in these verses that zero in on the reality of what a stewardship is all about. And our life is a stewardship. And the first one is simply this. How we handle our opportunities demonstrates our faith. Now, even though this is prophetic, I'm not ripping it out of the context, because the, the principle that we see here is always the case, no matter what day and age you live in. And to illustrate, we can go to the book of Luke, Chapter 19, you might want to write this down. Luke 19, verses 11 to 27, have a very, very similar parable. And instead of the servants being given talents, they're given minus. Now, a mina was a much smaller Greek measure of wealth, coinage or whatever, by weight, silver usually. The talent was much more costly. So there's some variation, some differences in the two parables. There are more servants given the uh, stewardship in the Luke 19 parable than here. And uh, the differences some Bible teachers have dwelt on and tried to understand what's going on and what's he saying, but he's really not zeroing in on the specifics. When you look at a parable, you, a parable is put there for one reason, to give you one specific truth. And the truth here is that life is a stewardship. The same is true of the Luke 19 parable. So don't make a lot about the differences. Those are just details of the story, but they're not the point of the story. The point of the story here is, God has given you and me, to whether, and by the way, that Luke 19 parable was given to his disciples who were, had to realize the kingdom wasn't coming then and they were about to enter into the church age, and that's where we're at. So the principle is the same. Now, every opportunity, every ability, every gift that we possess, God has given to us. And it's up to us what we do with those things. The question is not what opportunities do we have, although that's the first thing we need to look for. The real question, the bottom line is this, what are we going to do with our opportunities? How do we handle them? And how we handle them is a demonstration 
of whether or not we have faith in God. Now, so let's look at the parable and let's confirm that. Beginning at verse 14. Now the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them, or literally his financial assets or property. Verse 15, and to one he gave five talents. That's a measure of weight. So that's a a hefty measure of silver by weight. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So he wanted his wealth to be used to generate more wealth while he was going, going from there on a trip. Verse 16, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. He doubled his money. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. He doubled his money. But he who received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides. Now, the one who had two came, and you have the same story in the next verse. The next two verses. And here's the Lord's response to both of them. The Lord said to him, verse 23, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And it's, that's the same thing he said to both. The one who made the two, the one who made the five. But now we move on to the one who hid the one talent he had. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But he said, but his Lord said, or answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Now, herein, we have a key to why he called him a wicked and lazy servant. He may well have called him wicked because if he would have hid, as he did, hiding the money meant that if his master never came home, if he met with some uh, horrible fate and never came home, all he had to do was dig up the money and put it in his pocket. There'd be no record. But putting it with the bankers, but equally safe probably, maybe more safe, would have generated interest, but if his master would have somehow never come home, there would have been no way he was going to lay his hands on it or go to his master's estate. That may well be why he's called a wicked servant as well as a lazy one. And it could be that part of this was he just didn't want to go to the trouble of having to, to do the work to generate the income. And he might even have actually been afraid of his master, which he says. But he's labeled wicked and lazy. Now, look at verse 28. Therefore, take the talent from him and, from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given, and he who uh, will have abundance from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And by the way, for those who tend to like the theory that uh, an unsaved person at death just ceases to exist, it's hard to imagine someone who has ceased to exist weeping and gnashing their teeth as we have that description here. But that's a sermon for another day. The point here is, the one who hid his talent is cast out, he's judged. Those who made money for their master are rewarded. Now, the point here is that life being a stewardship, what we do with life demonstrates whether we have any loyalty to the master. In our case here, and the the implication of the parable is that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Master. And what we do, we do for Him. Everything we do, we do for Him. You see, some people think that, uh, well, you know, God God gives us ability and God gives us opportunities and God blesses us and we go out and and we accomplish great things and, and we benefit. And if that is the extent of your thinking, you miss the whole concept of a stewardship. It doesn't matter whether you have little or you have much, what you have, God enabled you to have and gifted you with that. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have to work to achieve it, but he gave you that ability too. To to understand, to be wise, to manage your assets, to work hard, do business. But the key to the whole thing is why you do what you do. If you go to work every day, or if you do what you do for a career, for you, you're not managing the master's wealth. But if you do what you do every day to the glory of God, and you do it to serve Him, and your motive is right, and you're serving the master, then you're okay. You see, the presence of faithful stewardship indicates whether or not you have a connection with the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who hide their talents, even those who multiply their talents but somehow still uh, you know, want to keep them from themselves and do with it what they please versus what God wants them to do with it, that's a demonstration of someone or, or, or an illustration or really a testimony that they don't know God. They don't know Jesus. But faithfulness, be it on, in little things like the one who was given one talent or the one who was given two, or faithfulness over many things, that demonstrates, especially if you're doing it for the right motives, demonstrates your faith. True faith shows up in faithfulness said Vance Havner, and he's right. Many years ago, probably 70 years ago maybe, in a small town in West Virginia, there was a small church. And there was a man in that church, without being asked, I assume, took it upon himself to ring the church bell every Sunday. Uh, we have a church bell. It's more or less a ornamental now, although I suppose it still rings if you go out there and, you know, and ring it. But it once, I'm sure, was in connection with a steeple and there's a rope on it. You, you know, we've all seen that. And in my first church, there was still a, a church bell there. In the church I grew up in, there was a church bell. And 
The kids always like to pull on the rope and ring the bell. I don't know whether there was a lack of children who wanted to ring the bell or not, but this man rang the bell every Sunday for 15 years. Not, uh, surely not because he just liked to ring a bell, but there was a purpose in it. In those days, in small communities, the bell told people it was time to assemble. After 15 years, on one particular Sunday, he rang that bell. And a 17-year-old boy was walking nearby and heard it. And somehow, some way, was compelled to walk into that church service that day. And there heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and committed his life to Christ and was saved. That young boy preached a revival for us here at Fellowship Baptist Church in the year 2000. His name is James Borer, B-O-R-R-O-R. He went on to be a pastor of quite a large church in California. I wonder, in the day that God determines who will be rewarded the most, the man who rang the bell or the man who got saved and preached the gospel? I'm not sure that's the right question, though, because they both are doing the same thing. Maybe one had one talent and one had five. But the rewards are there. And so our faithfulness, be it ringing a bell or going on to pastor a church, in that case of that young man, and ultimately go into evangelistic work, well, that demonstrates our faith. On the other hand, an absence of faithful stewardship, well, it demonstrates a lack of faith. For example, James chapter 2 and verse 14. Here James says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, the first thing you need to understand is, the Bible does not say the man that's being described here has faith. It says that he says he has faith. Well, you can lack faith, true faith in Jesus Christ and still say you have it. But if a man only, if a man says he has it, then it'll show up in his life. This is not talking about his salvation. This is just talking about if you're saved, your works will follow. Your faithfulness will demonstrate your salvation. But if you just are saying, if you're just a professor, if you don't really have faith, if you just say you have faith, can that faith, that kind of faith, save you? No. That's what James is saying. It does not at all contradict Ephesians 2.8, which says, by grace are we saved through faith. In verse 21 and in verse 23, the man who received the two talents and made two, the man who received the five talents and made five, both are told, enter into the joy of your Lord. They're commended, they, and they're given more responsibility. The one who did not demonstrate any faith, because he had no faith, he's cast out. And so, it is how we handle our opportunities that demonstrates our faith. But secondly, another implication is this, and it, they, are, they are so closely connected, they really go together. How we handle our opportunities determines our rewards. I'm afraid a lot of people think that, you know, our rewards eternal life, and that is not a reward. That's a gift. Eternal life is a gift because of faith in Jesus Christ. Our rewards well, God is going to reward everything we do for Him after we're saved. 
in a special way. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where there it's presented under the analogy of building materials, building a, a building, and building a, a shoddy work, wood, hay, and stubble, good work, gold, silver, precious stones. <clears throat> After the rapture of the church, there will be a, not a judgment of our salvation, because only the people raptured and resurrected at that point in time will be there. They all have eternal life. That's a gift. But there will be what is called the judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes you hear it called the bema seat because that's the Greek word, the transliteration of the Greek word, judgment seat. And, and God will, rightfully so, in a special way, and I don't fully understand how, He'll rightfully so reward every believer for everything they have done for Him with the right motive in that life, in a special way, in addition to their eternal life. So, our faithfulness to use the abilities, the opportunities, and all the, the, the responsibilities God has given to us rightfully with the right attitude in this life, that will all be rewarded. We don't all have the same opportunities, same talents, the same gifts. Some unknown author put it this way, he says, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. That's, that's what we're talking about. Take what God's given you and do your best with it. But Charles Swindoll gives us the antithesis of that statement. He says, between the great things we can't do and the little things we don't do, the danger is we don't do anything at all. You see, too much of the time, God's people sit around and say, I, just, uh, I, I don't have a lot of ability. I, I don't have a lot of that I can contribute. So, that may be true. But that doesn't mean they should not be doing something. They should not be faithful for whatever level of ability they have. Whatever gifts they have should be utilized. The essence of faithfulness is always the same. It takes effort, and it takes the right motive. Thomas Edison put it this way, Opportunities are missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Uh-huh. That's why the parable says, you wicked and lazy servant. It's not our work, by the way, that is the key. It's God's blessing, but God does require our participation. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, we read this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And then he goes on to say, once you're dead, you're not going to be able to do it. Okay? In other words, there's a limited amount of time in life to serve God. And to earn rewards. And we don't know what, what, what our time frame is. We need to be faithful today to do what we have that we can do. Galatians 6, 9 says this, And let us not grow weary while doing good, but in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We're going to reap. We're going to reap a reward if we stay faithful. If we don't grow weary and, and lay it aside, we will reap a reward. Verse 10 goes on to say this. Therefore, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially the household of faith. So there are opportunities there for us. But you know, our eyesight's not always very good. We don't see them. We think, well, there's nothing I can do. You know, we had a whole lot of folks getting ready for Bible school the last two days. Now, I realize not everybody could be there. And not, every, not everybody that wasn't there uh, was la- la- being lazy. They might have been doing something else, some other good things. But my point is, there's a lot of stuff that was just it's stuff anybody can do. Anybody can do it. Opportunities abound. We don't always see the opportunity to be faithful. We don't always see the opportunity to earn a reward. Reminds me of the two guys, and I don't know if it's the true story, but it's true to life. Two guys supposedly out in the West years ago were hunting wolves because there was a bounty on wolves. and Of course, wolves are a danger to ranchers. And so there was an ample bounty on every wolf. And uh, <clears throat> finding a wolf was not easy. A lot of hard work. And they hadn't been real successful. But they went to bed near a campfire one night. And suddenly, in the middle of the night, one of them aroused, heard something. And he looked around and he saw sets of eyes in a circle all the way around glowing from the light of the campfire. And he could hear the wolf snarling and bristling. So what does he do? He wakes up his brother, he wakes up his buddy and says, Jed, Jed, wake up, we're going to be rich. (laughs) You see, it's all how you look at it. Most of us would have said, Jed, let's get out of here. (laughs) Let's head for the hills. Or let's put some more wood on the fire. Let's keep those wolves off. Uh, Maybe we need a new profession. I'm getting out of this business. That's probably more what would have really happened. But God gives us opportunities. And with those opportunities, we await the day when we are commended. Well done. Now good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And part of our reward is going to be increased responsibilities. We'll have responsibilities in the kingdom and beyond. It's not what opportunities we have that matters. It's what we do with the opportunities we have that matters. It might be ringing a church bell. It might be becoming a missionary. It might be anything in between. But those opportunities matter. They matter to God. They are His business. And we are His stewards.